All right, well, good morning. How are you? A few of you are awake. Uh, some of you uh, came in today and saw the decorations and uh, thought you had a birthday celebration for you. And uh, I will mention that today is restoration. We turned four years old today. And Dan Brown also turns an age I'm not allowed to say audibly because this is being recorded. And so uh, Dan walked in and said, Kevin, you guys went all out for me. And I said, yes, we did. Uh, happy birthday, Restoration Church. Uh, this is fun. Uh, we, we, we planted four years ago today. And uh, one of the things we did, uh, our very first service in this building, our very first service here, uh, we, had a, we had a dinner that night, and what we asked uh, the people that were planting with us, I said, hey, would you take a minute, would you just write down a few thoughts about the very first service here at Restoration Church? And so I've got a couple of those today I thought would be fun to, to hear today, four years later. This is what we were thinking four years ago. Uh, someone wrote and said, today's experience is a first for me, to become a part of a of a family, a church family, to see the togetherness and everything working together for one goal. Nobody is doing it for themselves. And uh, it's awesome. Another person wrote, and they said, Today, reaffirm the excitement and awe that God is bringing a group of believers together to grow us, to stretch us, and to bring us uh, a new family in Christ's name. Doing His work in His name is amazing. Another person wrote, and said, I love seeing the rows of kids filling in. It's like the next restoration generation. That should be our new name for our kids' ministry, restoration generation. Um, another person wrote and said, I'm in awe of seeing all that our launch team working together in our first service today. From walking into the building to complete setup, how exciting to see restoration coming together. I was humbled by the spirit in service and at least five first-time visitors. Another one says, I love the word ignite. You had st three strong points. Confidence, empowerment of the Holy Spirit, our motivation of Christ's return. An excellent launching platform. One more person wrote, uh, that pastor is really handsome and charming <laughs> and funny. And I, I may have written that last portion, I will admit. And... Uh, uh, Regardless, I am excited to be here. Thank you for joining us today. Uh, if you didn't know, today's a celebration. We're glad you're here. And uh, you are a part of our story. Um, all of us that are here today are a part of the story of Restoration Church. So thank you for being a part of that. The last uh, couple of weeks, we've been in a series here at Restoration Church called Identity. And it was kind of the idea, um, if you picture the, the movie Snow White, where the queen's in front of the mirror. And she says, mirror, mirror on the wall. Who's the fairest of them all? And she's kind of looking to a little bit, hey, how do I, how do I rank up? I want to make sure like I'm equivalent of everybody else, that I'm good enough. And, and everything's going good until Snow White appears. And the mirror says, well, Snow White might be a little bit more fair than you. We all know how that story goes. It's a great uh, kid's tale. But the question that I wanted us to ask was, uh, when we, who are we looking to build our identity from? Which mirror are we looking into to allow to define who we are? Because there's two mirrors we can look into. We can look into the mirror of the culture that says, hey, if you're going to be a good person, if you're going to be successful, then this is what it looks like. 
But God's mirror looks a little bit different because God builds our identity on something completely different from the way that the world builds our identity. So we've been in the series in Psalm 139. And I'll be honest, so this, this past week, um, I spent some time with a couple pastor friends of mine. And uh, they were saying, Kevin, what's going on? And, and Yakima, what's happening at Restoration Church? And I said, well, man, it's great. Like, God has carried us. We're going to celebrate four years this weekend. And my friends were like, man, that is awesome. And uh, statistically, uh, more than 60% of church plants don't make this day. They don't make it to the point of seeing four years as a church. And so this is an exciting time for us to be able to stand and, and celebrate together to say, look what God has done. And as I was talking to these friends, I felt God... Uh, leading me to say, hey, we've been talking about a personal identity, like how you and I find our identity from God. And I thought today would be a fine time, felt God leading me to say, let's not talk about a personal identity today, but let's talk about a church identity. We're still dealing with this idea about identity, identity, but instead of a, a personal, let's make it a, a corporate thing about who we are as a church. And so, uh, what I did is I, as I was reading these reflections about the first service we had, and I saw that idea, ignite the church. And I thought, man, this is a great way to, to help us understand our identity. As we, we, we look, and, and four years ago, we asked God, God, would you ignite our church in our city? And I think this is an opportunity for us to, four years later to say, God, would you continue to ignite our church right here in our city. And, and so this is an opportunity for us to uh, almost be reminded of what we heard that first Sunday, to, to evaluate, to celebrate what God has done, and, and to look forward to saying, God, would you continue to lead us? Would you continue to guide us? So with that, if you have a Bible, I'm going to invite you to turn to the book of Acts. The book of Acts um, is in the second half of your Bible. You open up the second half of the Bible, you'll see the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Right after John, you'll find the book of Acts. Uh, the book of, of Acts was written by a guy by the name of Luke. And if you know the story, uh, Luke was the author of the book of Luke, the gospel of Luke. And Acts is the continuation of the story of, of, of Luke. Luke was writing to a guy by the name of Theophilus, whose name means God lover. And uh, Luke was trying to help him understand who Jesus was. He was trying to assist him to understand what Jesus was about, who the disciples were. And so that's why uh, Luke wrote this book of, of, of Luke as well as the book of Acts. And you say, well, these two stories uh, are really not meant to be two stories. You see, when, when the book of Luke is one of the gospel accounts, the gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, they tell us about the life, the ministry of Jesus. They tell us about uh, his sacrifice on the cross, his arrest, his, his death on the cross, his burial and his resurrection. That's what the gospel accounts do. They're all about Jesus. And in the book of Acts, it's a continuation of that same story, but no longer is it primarily focused on, on Jesus' life and ministry. Now, Jesus has empowered and, and sent out his disciples to go into the world, to, to make disciples of all nations, to teach them to observe all that God has commanded them. And this is what the book of Acts is about. We see the disciples planting churches. We see them preaching the gospel. We see the, the, the gospel message, salvation through Jesus Christ, spreading across the world. And so this is where, uh, this is where we're going to look at today. But the cool thing is, and when you read the book of Acts, and it, you see all these exciting things about the early church. You see these disciples who are, are sharing the gospel, who are learning what it means to function as a church. The cool thing is, that story does not end in Acts chapter 28. 
Acts has 28 chapters. That story doesn't end right there. That story continues to this day. We are still in that, that day and age where God is, is writing a story through his disciples and through the church. And you and I are a part of that story. So, so we might be Acts chapter 114 or, or somewhere down the line, but we are a part of that story, which is why we are here, which is why we planted which is why one of our affiliations as a church is the Acts 29 Church Planning Network, because we are the continuation of what God started with those disciples many years ago. So I'm going to ask you to do this. If you are able, if you would stand with me and uh, follow along as, uh, as we read Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. Um, you can follow along on your Bible, um, in your, on your phone, or uh, we have the words up here on the screen behind me as well. Acts chapter 1 and verse 11. And it says, In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until that day that he was taken up. And after he had given commands to the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen, he presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You have heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, the disciples asked Jesus, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And Jesus said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons uh, that the Father has fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him up out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. And that is God's word for us today. Would you pray with me? God, we just want to thank you for this opportunity to be gathered here today. God, thankful that we're not here just to uh, celebrate a church and a church being four years old. But God, we're here to celebrate you and what you have done. The fact that God, you are still alive. That, God, you are still redeeming. That you are still moving. And, God, we thank you for your hand that has been on Restoration Church, on leading us and guiding us and growing us and maturing us. And, God, as we have this opportunity to open up your word, God, I pray that you would speak to us. I pray that you would draw us deeper into to, to love with you. God, I pray that, that all of us, wherever we were, whatever we're coming in today, that, God, you would speak to us. That you would convict us of sin. God, just pray for your presence on us now. We ask this in your holy and precious name. Amen. All right, you may be seated here. As you read through that passage of Scripture, uh, the main idea that you can pull out of there is, is from, cha- from, from verse 8. This is the main idea of this, this passage. And it says in verse 8, it says, You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And so when we're, we're looking and trying to understand, okay, we want to come about this idea about identity. Of the early church, what is their identity? And Jesus is just saying, listen, disciples, listen, early church, this is who you are. 
Okay, this is your identity. This is what you are about. Early church, this is why you exist. And what he said is the early church existed to be witnesses of Jesus. And you'll say, well, what does a witness do? Like, what does a witness do? Well, if we can picture ourselves in a courtroom setting, a witness comes and takes a stand and they testify to the truth of what they know to be true. And Jesus is saying, hey, disciples, you are to be witnesses uh, of what Jesus accomplished on the cross, of his death, of his burial, of his resurrection. You're to be witnesses of this in Jerusalem, which is in your city, in, in Judea, which is your region, in Samaria, which is your country, and to the ends of the earth. You are to be witnesses throughout the entire world that people would know who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. Early church, this is why you exist. And we say, you and I, we are still in the Acts age. We're still in the age of God working through his disciples, working through the early, working through the church. And our mission continues today just as it did 2,000 years ago through those disciples. And as we're looking at the church today, I mean, the church is made up of, of all sorts of, of diversity. There's all sorts of people in this room. People with different skills, people with, with different temperaments, people, people that come from different backgrounds, people that come from different countries. And the cool thing is, is, is God brings us all together for a very specific reason, a very specific purpose. It's not just to, to be a good-looking group of people, which you are. I get the privilege of seeing you all. It's not just for the privilege of feeling good about ourselves, of, of having a, 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 a sense of community. We're here for a very specific purpose. That we would be witnesses of the truth of Jesus in Yakima, in the Yakima Valley, across our state, across our country, and to the ends of the world. And see, what's cool about this is most of us go through seasons where we begin to wrestle a little bit. Like, why am I here? Like, what's my purpose? Where's my identity? And see, it doesn't really matter how God has wired you. Uh, it doesn't matter. You might say, well, I, oh, you know, this is how God made me. It's a little different. Listen, we are fearfully and wonderfully made. Do you know that? We're going to look at that passage next week that you and I are fearfully and wonderfully made. And if you are a believer in Jesus, you have a very specific purpose for why God made you. And that is that you would be a witness of the truth of who he is and what he has done. Now, absolutely, there's different expressions of this. But the reality is for every one of us in here today, like the places that God has put you, in your neighborhood, in your workplace, in your school, in your uh, wherever it is, you are there not only to seek their benefit, not only to, 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 to earn a paycheck, you are there placed by God to be a witness of the truth of Jesus Christ, of the truth of the gospel. To show them this is what the impact a relationship with Jesus does. That is why we are here. That is why we exist. Do you understand this? As a church, this is why we're here. We're not here to put religious services together. We're here to be witnesses of what Jesus has done. And here's the thing, though. This is, why, this is where we started four years ago. We understand this identity. This is why we exist but God hasn't left us alone just to wrestle with our identity on ourselves, to go and accomplish this on our own. Uh, Acts chapter 1 gives us three foundations for the church if they were going to be secure and confident in their identity as witnesses. 
And these are three foundations for our church that we talked about four years ago, and we're going to revisit today. Because these are foundations for you and I. If we're going to be faithful to what God has called us to do, we need to have this foundation. So the first thing that this chapter is going to tell is a section of Scripture. It's going to show us that those disciples had a confidence in their message. They had a, a utmost confidence in their message. And you and I, if we're going to be faithful to the identity that God has called us to, we have to be completely confident in our message. Say, well, what's the message? The message is in verse 3. It says, Jesus presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during the 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. See, right there, it's just, that's the gospel story. That's the message of salvation. That Jesus, who was the Son of God, he came to this earth. He left heaven to come down to this earth. And he lived the perfect life that you and I haven't lived. And then he went and he suffered on the cross and he paid the penalty for sin that you and I deserved. He died the death that we deserved. And after he died, they placed him in the tomb because he was, he was dead. They buried him. And three days later, Jesus rose from the grave. That is our message. That is the message of Christianity, of the gospel, of salvation. It's the fact that, that you and I, we couldn't be good enough. But Jesus was. And what Jesus did is he went to the cross and he said, here's what we'll do. I'll take your junk. I'll take your sin. I'll take your brokenness. And I'll give you my righteousness. This is the message of Christianity. And when it says that he presented himself alive after 40 days, after uh, suffering many proofs, and he appeared to them 40 days, this is the, the, the resurrection. He's gone. He's conquered death. He's conquered Satan. He's conquered hell. There's nothing that can stop him. Disciples, you put yourself in their shoes, though. Like, you've got to understand, they followed Jesus for, for three years. Yeah, this was the man who was going to restore the kingdom of God. And he says, here's your job, disciples. You're to be witnesses. A little bit, you've got to think, man, that's a little bit of a hard task for them. Because Jesus says, I want you to go into the world and make disciples. But remember, the world is the same people that just sent me to the cross. And so here, Jesus is telling you, disciples, I want you to go to the very people who hung me on a cross, and I want you to tell them that I'm, that I'm the truth, that I'm the Son of God. Can you imagine that being a little bit difficult of a task for them? A little bit like, I don't know if I can really, you know, do this. And so it says that Jesus convinced them through many proofs that over the course of 40 days, Jesus appeared to them. And says, hey, I want you to see me. I want you to know who I am. You can see my hands. You can see my feet. The resurrected Savior. And so, following through the Bible, you can know Jesus appeared to the women at the tomb. The resurrected Jesus appeared to those women and said, look, here I am. Jesus uh, revealed himself to the disciples and to Mary Magdalene. Jesus uh, uh, revealed himself to the two disciples that were on the Emmaus Road. In fact, the Bible says that over 500 people literally laid eyes on the resurrected Jesus. And this was the confidence that these disciples needed. That they could take this message to all the world. To say, let me tell you about this Jesus who died and has been resurrected. 
to bring you salvation, to make you right with God. This was their confidence. Listen, 2,000 years later, we still have that same message. That is still the message of the church today. We don't have a message of self-help. We don't have a message of five steps to improve your life, three steps to make your marriage great. We we don't have that kind of a message. We have the message of, of, of Jesus. And the root issue that we have to all wrestle with is, is, our, is our identity rooted in the gospel of Jesus Christ? Is our identity rooted in what Jesus has come and accomplished in your place? That has to be the core of our identity. Let me tell you what, that message has tremendous power. I've had the privilege of seeing the, 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 the power of this message. I've seen marriages... Like, 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 the gospel message has the power to redeem the most broken relationship. The gospel takes two people in a marriage relationship. Marriage is hard, right? Can anybody acknowledge marriage can be hard? But listen, when the gospel takes root in two people, God, the God through the gospel, begins to teach two people how to love God. How to love in the first place. How to forgive one another. How to put others first. And guess what happens? When we begin to understand our identity in the gospel of how Jesus loves us, man, it transforms the way that we love our spouse. It transforms the way our spouse loves us. And transforms that marriage, taking it from oftentimes a shamble and redeeming it into something beautiful and wonderful. In fact, I I read this that this is why couples who attend church regularly and pursue faith together have a greater chance of success. I know there's statistics out there that say the divorce rate isn't dif- any different in the church than it is in the world. That statistic is misleading. Because that statistic says, well, I go to church once a year, so that counts me being a church-going person. Couples who faithfully attend church together, who pursue Christ together, have a tremendously higher success rate in marriage than couples who don't. It's because they're learning about this idea about the gospel. About how, how God loved us first. And so we're supposed to love other people first. About how God forgave us. So we're supposed to forgive others. And you begin to take these things. And they become part of your identity. And they can transform your marriage. This message of the gospel. And this is why when we are grieving. When we're hurting. When we've been violated. That the gospel can bring tremendous healing to us. Because we know that Jesus promised. He says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And there may be seasons where you may not feel it. You may be seasons where you're going through the thick of, of, of just battle. You're feeling the weight of the world come crashing down on you. You may not feel it. But you can have confidence in that word. And strength, courage comes from knowing that you are not alone. That you will get through this. You will believe again. Because you know that God is in charge. You know that God has paid a great price for you. Of giving his son for you. And you know he's not going to leave you or forsake you. Now I know some of us are saying, okay, well, our message is the gospel. Our message is this Jesus who who died for us and, and rose from the grave. Like, how are you and I supposed to have confidence in that message? Like, like, 
Pastor, can you show me the resurrected Jesus? Like if, like if Jesus would come here today and we could see his hands and we could see his feet, we could see him, like then we could have that same kind of confidence as those disciples. I can't do that. I can't bring Jesus here today. But here's, here's what I can do for you. Okay? Raise your hand if you were here four years ago in our very first service. All right? Okay? And I would encourage you, look around. You want to know how you and I can have confidence in this message? Look around. Because I can see stories in this room. People who four years ago were far from God. People four years ago who were in sin and rebellion, headed for a life of destruction. And because of this message, they found Christ. And their lives have been drastically changed. I can tell you about marriages in this room that were headed for divorce that have been totally redeemed. I can tell you of, of how, uh, how, how God and the gospel has, has taken root to transform so many stories in this room. And when I can tell you about, about, about 25 people who stood right up here and said, let me tell you about the gospel and how I've believed in the gospel and how that has transformed my life. And we've had 25 people stand right up here to say, I'm publicly committing my faith to Jesus. And I'm going to prove this to you by following through on baptism. We've had 25 people right here whose lives have been transformed by Jesus. Like, I can't show you the resurrected Jesus, but I can show you lives and testimonies and people who have been affected by this message, whose lives have been redeemed. And that gets me excited. That gives me a confidence and a reason of why we're here. The fact that there's maybe, there's maybe one-fifth of us that were here four years ago, and the other 80%, God has, has been working to bring, to redeem, to restore Someone give me a hand clap for that. Like, that is why we're here. That is... That is the confidence to this message. That we have a God who redeems, who restores. We have a message that we don't have to add anything to. We don't have to try and and, and manipulate the message. We have a message that is powerful in itself. That God takes... The most broken things and redeems them into something beautiful. And this right here, you, us, we are a picture of that. See, if our identity as a church is going to remain steadfast as witnesses of Jesus, if God is going to ignite our church, we must be deeply convinced of this message So much so that we can't contain our excitement that we want to share that message with other people so that they can experience the same kind of salvation that you and I have experienced. But that's not all that uh, this book is going to show us about about, about fulfilling our identity as a church. Verse 4 and 5. Look at verse 4 and 5. Luke writes and says, While staying with them, Jesus ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. 
You see, the second thing, if we're going to fulfill our identity as witnesses, if God's going to reignite our church, is we must be filled with the Holy Spirit. We've got to be filled with the Holy Spirit. See, what happens is when you and I, when we place our faith in Jesus, there's a spiritual baptism that takes place. That we, we become filled with the Spirit. We become a part of the kingdom of God. And that happens at the moment of faith. We, be, we are filled with the Spirit at that point. What's great about that is that means that you and I are not alone on our mission, on, 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 on our, in our identity of being witnesses. We're not alone. We are given the gift of the Holy Spirit that empowers us, it emboldens us, it leads us, it guides us so that we can live effectively as witnesses of this message, of this truth of the gospel. <clears throat> and I'm just going to share right now, as I was thinking about this idea about being filled with the Spirit and that being part of our identity as a church. Man, I'm just going to be honest right now, and I'm just going to repent before you. And I'm going to say too often, too often I've sought guidance from experts without seeking the guidance of the Holy Spirit. I mean, yes, 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 we have to have a plan. Yes, we have to have leadership. But honestly, you and I, we can live religious lives. We can be full uh, of, of leading religious services and doing good things in the name of God and still be moving away from the plans that God has had for us. Because we're doing it through our own strength. We're doing it through our own wisdom, through our own might. And for us to, for, to be who God has called us to be, we must depend on the Holy Spirit for direction and power and, 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 and everything. I mean, I, I shared this four years ago. That I read that if, if the Holy Spirit were to suddenly leave the earth, probably 90% of church work would continue. I hope that's not the case for us. I hope that we are people who are dependent upon God and His Spirit to lead us and to guide us. To say, God, where do you want us to go? God, what do you want us to do? I don't want to just listen to the people who say, hey, I've got a lot of wisdom. Here's what you need to do to grow your church. Here's what you need to do to reach Yakima. No, I want the Holy Spirit to lead us. I want the Holy Spirit to move us and to guide us to where we're walking, not ahead of God, not walking behind God, but we're walking side by side with God as he leads us and guides us to make a difference in our community. Hard work is absolutely necessary. But I wonder how many times we are moving contrary to what God has for us. I mean, it almost seems a little bit contrary to the way we're supposed to, supposed to live. I mean, we have this idea that we're supposed to be busy, 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 work, work, work. You know, hey, I've got to do something for God. I've got to go and do something. And so we, we hear the story in Luke chapter 10. Mary and Martha, the two sisters. Jesus is going to come to their house. And remember the story? Martha's busy. Hey, Jesus is here. Like, I'm going to serve Jesus. I'm going to clean the house. I'm going to prepare the meal. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to do all these things for Jesus. And Mary, remember what Mary's doing? She's sitting at the foot of Jesus, learning. Saying, hey, just teach me, Jesus. And, and Martha's saying, hey, what's going on? Mary, you're supposed to be doing this. And remember what Jesus said. Jesus said, Mary has chosen a good portion that cannot be taken away from her. See, for you and I, like we can be so busy with religious things. But are we actually intimate? Or do we have an intimate relationship with God? 
What does your intimacy with God look like? Because it's not enough for us just to say, well, I read my Bible on Sunday because the pastor read Acts chapter 1 and I read it then. I read my Bible on Tuesday at Life Group and I read my Bible then. Like, what does your intimacy with God look like? And I'll be honest, here's how I've tried to grow my intimacy with God. So I've got, I've got a smartphone and the Bible app. You can download the Bible app on your phone. And there are reading plans that you can follow through, the, through your phone. Think, well, we're on our phones. How, we're on our phones, like, I don't know, like three hours a day, four hours a day. Like, that's where our society is. Like, what if you redeemed 20 minutes of that time just to say, okay, God, I want to work on my intimacy with you. I want to grow in that with you, God. See, if we're going to be who God has called us to be, we're going to be faithful to be that identity that God has given us as witnesses of the truth, we've got to allow the Holy Spirit to work through us. Third thing that we learn from Acts chapter 1, that a foundation for our identity in Christ, our identity as, as, as witnesses, is that we have to have an anticipation for the future. Here's what Luke wrote, in, starting in verse 9. He says, And when Jesus had said these things as they were looking on, Jesus was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while the disciples were gazing into heaven as Jesus went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Disciples are standing there. Jesus has said, hey, here's your identity. You are to be witnesses. And they watch as Jesus is taken up into heaven on a cloud. And all of a sudden, two angels appear and say, hey, 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 guys, why are you looking up into heaven? He's coming again in the same way. Jesus, who went up from, uh, who, who went up into heaven on a cloud, he's coming again. There's a second coming. There's an anticipation of this. And I just picture myself in those disciples' shoes. Like, could you, could you ever doubt that, that, that he, he was coming again? Like, you just saw this miraculous thing of him going up on a cloud. You see these two angels saying, he's coming again. Like, you have a confidence that Jesus is really coming. Like, you saw this happen before your own eyes. These guys, those guys, they would have believed, hey, Jesus is coming back. In fact, most of those disciples, they believed Jesus was coming back in their own lifetime. They understood, hey, Jesus has come once. He died on the cross for us. He's coming, gone up to heaven. He's coming again. And they expected, hey, it's probably happening in our own lifetime. And there, there was a motive behind uh, their identity and knowing that Jesus is coming back. There was a, 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 a skip on their step. There was an anticipation. Hey, it's coming. We need to be busy. We need to be after this. We need to go and tell the world who Jesus is. Do we have that same kind of anticipation of Christ returning? I mean, what if, what if we anticipated Christ's return like they did? Like, what kind of difference would it make? What kind of difference would it make in our church? What kind of difference would it make in your family? What kind of difference would it make in your life? Think about this. I think about how much blessing and growth we would experience if we lived in anticipation of Christ's return. Because if, if Christ is returning, if we're really anticipating, hey, he could come back any day, 
Like, why would we wait to do anything? Like, like, like maybe you've sought God's direction, or maybe God's confronted you, and you've got a decision to make, you've got something to kill. If you thought Jesus was coming back any time, wouldn't you get up and get it done now? Like, like this, promise you won't judge me, okay? Just promise me you won't judge me. A couple years ago, I got an iTunes card. I, I don't know if it was my birthday or what it was. Someone gave me an iTunes card. And so I'm, 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 I'm on iTunes. I'm going to download some music. And, and uh, of course, I'm a pastor. So I downloaded some religious music, of course. Of course I did. And then I started thinking, what are some of the songs I grew up with? So I, I, I you know, I, 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 I bought a couple songs. I bought Leonard Skinner's Sweet Home Alabama. I bought Bon Jovi's Wanted, Dead, or Alive. I bought Eye of the Tiger. And I, and I took that music and I'm cranking it up. I'm cranking it up loud. And I'm home alone. I'm like, let's see how loud we can get this thing. Okay? Now, this is like nostalgic for me. So I'm, I, I'm singing, I'm dancing, I'm having a good old time. And my phone rings. My wife calls. Hey, me and the kids will be back in an hour. Could you have the dishes done? And I'm like, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, hang up. Because I'm all, I mean, I, I've got this going on. Like, I'm all excited. And I lost track of time. And I checked my phone a little while later. And there was five minutes left until my wife was coming home. Turned on the music. Getting the dishes in as quick as you can. I didn't want to get caught looking like a fool. I didn't want my wife to come in and say, what the heck are you doing? Why didn't you do the dishes? And why are you dancing with your shirt off, you crazy man? But how many of us do that with God? Like God speaks into your life and says, man, this is what I want you to do. Here's the step I want you to take in your life. Here's the place I want you to go. Here's the person I want you to talk to. Here's the relationship I want you to restore. And see, if there's no anticipation of Christ returning, you think, well, I'll do that tomorrow. I'll do that when I'm a little bit older. I'll do that, God, when I have a little bit more money. I'll start tithing when I have a little bit more money. God, I'll, I'll, I'll do that some other time. Next time. This is where, when God begins to convict us of our sin, God begins to say, hey, you're living in a way that's not right. You've got to repent. You've got to get this out of your life. You've got to, to, to get this right with God. And if there's no anticipation of Christ's return, man, I've got all the time in the world. I can deal with my sin tomorrow. I'm just going to enjoy it one more time, one more day, one more week. Oh, it'll be next year. Things will be easier. Man, what if God were to return today? Listen, he very well could. He very well could, could return tonight. How many of us would stand before him with dumbfounded looks on our faces? Because God said, hey, I called you to do this. And you waited. You said, no, not now. You said, maybe later. Maybe another time. Man, how much growth, how much blessing would we see in our lives if we lived in that anticipation that he's coming back? And we just said, God, this is what you called me to do. Hey, I'm going. Let's go do this now. Like how much growth and blessing would we experience if we just had the anticipation that he's coming back? Not only do I think, do I think that anticipation helps us to, to, to experience blessing and growth, but man, how much, 
would help us to set our priorities straight. Because I think it's so easy for us to lose sight of our priorities. We've got the cares of this world. We've got all the stresses that this world brings upon us. All the the weight that we carry. But listen, if, if Christ, if we anticipated his return at any moment, doesn't it help us set our priorities right? Or instead of allowing this world to weigh us down, doesn't that free us to, to serve him, to prepare to meet him, to make sure others are ready? It sets our priorities for us. If Christ is really going to return at any moment, doesn't that change how we plan for today and how we plan for tomorrow? Listen, just to kind of wrap this up, church, I don't want to lose our identity. I don't want to lose our identity as witnesses uh, of the truth of the gospel. Four years in, four years in, I asked you folks to be confident in the message of the gospel. I asked you to, to trust in God's spirit to guide us. And I asked you to live in anticipation of Christ's return. And I'm asking you that same thing today. Will you join me in being confident in the message of the gospel? Will you join me in being dependent on the Holy Spirit to guide us? And will you join me in in, in living in anticipation of Christ's return? Because I'll tell you what, you know what happens when we do that? You know what happens when we do those things? We get to hear stories like this. We had a couple guys go to man camp last week. And and I got a text from one of the guys. This is what he says. Man, God has opened new doors in my life. I've connected so much more in my personal life with Christ. I'm changed. That's why we're doing it. Because I want to stand up here four years from now with many more stories just like that. Of lives that have changed, have been transformed, that have been restored because we were faithful to the identity he's given us to be witnesses of the message of the gospel. That we were dependent on the Holy Spirit to empower us and to lead us. And because we didn't wait until tomorrow, but we lived in anticipation of his return. Let's pray. God, just thank you for this privilege of being in front of a group of people today to say, God, God, would you help me to live this out as a, as a pastor, as a leader? Oh God, I'm, I'm, I'm one of us. God, I've got cares of this world. I've got worries. I've got fears. I've got, I've got all these things going on. So God, would you help us just to, to be who you've called us to be? To understand our identity as witnesses of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. And I know there are many in here today whose lives have been transformed because of Jesus. Whose lives have been changed. Some drastic. Some are still a work in progress. But God, I pray that you would continue to allow us to be witnesses of these things. That God, all the places you've put us in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces, in our schools, in our cars, driving here and there, 
a Cinco de Mayo celebration on Yakima Avenue. That God, we would be a witness of these things. God, I pray for those of us in here today. God, I pray that you help us to have a confidence in that message of the gospel. To understand that, God, anything that's gone in our life, those hardships we bury, we carry. God, help us to take root of that identity of the gospel. That we are so loved by him. That we are so accepted by him. Help us not just to to know it mentally, but to know it in our heart. To believe it. Help us, God, just to grow in our intimacy with you. Maybe that's someone here today that just need to say, I need to work on that. Spend more time growing with you. Make it a commitment. God, help us to be a people that lives in anticipation of your return. Help us to say, not, I'm not going to wait until tomorrow. Today's the day I'm going to do what God's called me to do. I don't have all the answers. I don't know how things will work out. But you know what? God's got it. If God's called me to it, he's certainly going to equip me to do it. So God, I just pray right now as a church that we can stand up and we can just praise you for who you are. And we can worship you for who you are. And we can lift our voices and we can lift our hands and praise you because we have a Savior who lives today. God, I just thank you for who you are and I ask this in your holy and precious name. Amen.